Welcome to another edition of Out of the Box Sunday School. I'm your host, Takia Evans. And as always, thanks for taking the time to listen in today. And our lesson is entitled, Nehemiah, the captive cupbearer rebuilds a nation. The Bible background is from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 20, chapter 13, verses 1 through 22. And our lesson is focuses on the passages of Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through through 20. We have all seen the We Buy Ugly Houses sign. The person or company, they're interested in renovating ugly houses in order to sell and make a profit. The prolification of TV, television shows, magazine articles, and websites devoted to flipping houses demonstrates the widespread of this particular business. Long ago, Nehemiah was interested in renovating an ugly city. The once great city of Jerusalem, he wanted to address a condition of despair and confusion in Jerusalem, but his deeper motives and his leadership skill is so in so doing that still have much to teach us today. Our lesson this week refers to Nehemiah as a restoring builder, and as such, he had to be a motivator. Being, being able to inspire people to pursue God's will is the secret of true leadership. And this is not possible unless the leader is dedicated to the cause. And let's not forget, it all started with prayer. If we need to read, if you need to, you can go back and read Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. And under the leadership of King David and King Solomon, the United Kingdom of Israel achieved great notoriety and the city of Jerusalem was the spiritual and political capital of the nation. And after the death of Solomon, as a result of unwise leadership by Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the nation of Israel was divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. From that time forward, there were many evil kings in Israel, but there were many godly ones in Judah. So since the northern kingdom had sunk into deep idolatry in 722 BC, God judged the nation by allowing the Assyrians to invade and conquer Israel and transport many of the Israelites to Assyria and many Assyrians into Israel. Even after seeing what happened to the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah became so wicked themselves that God judged Judah by sending the Babylonians to invade and conquer them. So here we are in 586 BC, the Babylonians burned Jerusalem, plundered the temple, and carried the people captive to Babylon, where God's people remained for 70 years. The Persians conquered Babylon in 539 BC. When Persia defeated Babylon, the Jewish captives were permitted to return to their homeland at different times. And then in 538 BC, those who returned under the leadership of Sheshbazar began rebuilding the temple, but didn't finish it due to local opposition, which is another group of Jews that returned to Judah in 521 BC, led by Zerubbabel and Jeshua. And they completed the temple with the encouragement of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. So by the time 
of Nehemiah, some 140 years after the fall of Jerusalem, many Jews were still in Persia, including Nehemiah. And at the time of our lesson, Artaxerxes was king of Persia and Nehemiah served as his cupbearer, meaning that before the king drank anything, Nehemiah tasted it first. So here we are in this part of our lesson in 445 BC, Nehemiah received word from his brother Hananiah of how bad things still were in Jerusalem. And as a result, Nehemiah, he mourned, fasted, and prayed that God would grant him mercy in the eyes of the king. God answered Nehemiah's prayer, and the king allowed him to go to Judah to repair the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. Nehemiah also asked the king for letters that he could give to the different governors in the area, confirming that he had the king's approval. So now our lesson begins with verse 11. After Sandabalt and Tobiah heard that Nehemiah was coming to check on the welfare of the people in Judah. So I'll be starting with Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. Three days after arriving in Jerusalem, I got up during the night and left my house. I took some men with me without telling anyone what I thought God wanted me to do for the city. The only animal I took was the donkey I rode on. I went through Valley Gate on the west, then south past Dragon Spring before coming to Garbage Gate. As long as I as I rode along, I took a good look at the crumbled walls of the city and the gates that had been torn down and burned. On the east side of the city, I headed north to Fountain Gate and King's Pool, but then the trail became too narrow for my donkey. So I went down to Kidron Valley and looked at the wall from there. Then before daylight, I returned to the city through Valley Gate. So armed with the king's permission, these letters for free passage through the territories and authorization for the supply of materials for the reconstruction. Nehemiah, he heads home. He returns to Jerusalem and spends three days without anyone's knowledge of his presence. Nehemiah was aware of the fact that not everyone in the territory was on board with what he was planning to do. So he took an excursion at night and surveyed the city. He was accompanied by a few others. Perhaps they could have been residents of Jerusalem, but who knew uh, that probably knew the layout of the city and could serve as a guide. Or maybe they just happened to be trusted advisors who also traveled from Persia and could uh, offer some type of wise counsel. Nehemiah wanted to keep his actions secret until he ascertains the, mul the multitude of the damage and extent of the work that needs to be done to the city. So Nehemiah went around the city with that, without his full entourage. He wanted to remain secretive about his intention to rebuild Jerusalem's wall and gates. And disclosing his plans too early could put the entire enterprise in jeopardy. And here we get to verses 13 through 15 that gives us a detailed record of the tour. And so it appears that Nehemiah did not make a complete circuit of Jerusalem, but only of the southern area. So during this tour of the southern area, the valley gate appears to have been at the southwestern side of Jerusalem. And the location of the jackal wall is disputed, though it is often identified with the pool of Shalom on Jerusalem's southern side. The dung gate may, may describe the gate leading to the trash dump in the uh, Hinnom Valley to the south of Jerusalem. 
This is also in need of repair, as we saw in our scriptures. And so the scene before Nehemiah was very much in keeping with what his brother Hananiah had described to him, just total destruction, total disrepair. And so Nehemiah's survey of the walls and gates, I'm sure they had disturbed him. And so we must remember, it's one thing to hear a report of destruction and another thing to actually see it firsthand. So at the fountain gate, um, this was a, possi a possibility that this situation, uh, this was situated on the southwestern wall of Jerusalem. The king's pool may have been part of King Hezekiah's project to bring water into the city to improve its odds of survival in a prolonged siege. So now we have this rubble at the pool. It was excessive. It was so excessive that the horse that Nehemiah was riding on really couldn't get through. So can you imagine the enormity of the devastation he found in Jerusalem? And so this valley that's mentioned in verse 15 is probably the Kidron, which is a name also attached to the company Brook East of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah then traces his path going back to the valley gate where he initially started. So now we come to verses 16 through 18. None of the city officials knew what I had in mind, and I had not even told any of the Jews, not the priests, the leaders, the officials, or any other Jews who may be helping in the work. But when I got back, I said to them, Jerusalem is truly in a mess. The gates have been torn down and burned, and everything is in ruins. We must rebuild the city wall so that we can gain, again, take pride in our city. Then he told them how kind God had been and what the king had said. Immediately they replied, let's start building. They got out and got everything ready. So Nehemiah did not tell anyone. He didn't tell the priests. He didn't tell the nobles, rulers, or even the rest of the people. He didn't tell them what the Lord had led his heart and the, fav and the favor he granted him through the king to rebuild the walls. So we kind of wonder, why did he keep it a secret? You know, we could very well come up with the reason that is to hide it from their enemies until everything is ready and all plans are finalized so they can't jeopardize that the work that he wanted be that needed to be done so we have to remember that nehemiah had already seen that sandoval and tobiah wanted to oppose his work so we you know we'll we'll talk about them again shortly um another reason could be that he kept it a secret so that um you know, so that people would not get in the way um, until everything was in place to avoid discouragement from those uh, who may be ready to just say, we're not doing this. This is too much work. Uh, we're not ready for this type of job. So nothing is said about the span of time between Nehemiah's excursion and his meeting with the groups that's named previously in, in verse 16. But after getting a handle on the situation, Nehemiah calls on the assembly and tells the leaders his plans. So his first call, he first calls their attention to their plight. He, he lets them know, I understand your plight. I understand what's, what you're going through. And he's reminding them of their suffering and the deplorable condition of their city. And if you noticed, Nehemiah used the first person plural pronouns, we and us. 
So he identified with those who were concerned about the demise um, of the city, this dismal condition of Jerusalem. He does not bother to point out that the walls have been disrepaired for almost 100 years. Instead, he appeals to what they can do in the immediate situation. He challenges them to work. He urges them to get to work to rebuild the city and its walls. In this moment, Nehemiah sees himself as a member of the community. And to assure them of the possibility of the work ahead and gain their support, Nehemiah tells the assembly how God's hand had been with him in the plan and how God has so far provided for him in the project. Nehemiah informs the leaders of Israel also of the king's approval and support morally and materially. Nehemiah never doubted that he was on a mission for God. God's hand was upon him not only to reconstruct the wall, but to establish the economy and social stability of this Jewish community. As a leader with confidence in the Lord, the testimony of his work and his presence, it encourages and motivates people to work. And nothing motivates people more than a personal encounter with the Lord and his agents. So now we're at our last two verses, 19 and 20. I told you Sandoval and Tobiah will come back up. When Sandoval, Tobiah, and uh, Geshman, the Arab, heard about the plans, they started insulting us and saying, just look at you. Do you plan to build the walls of the city and rubble against the king? I answered, we are servants of the Lord who, who rules from heaven, and he will make our work succeed. So we will start rebuilding Jerusalem but you have no right to any of his property because you have no part in its history. As the work commences, the news of the project reaches neighboring countries. It comes to the attention of Sandoval and Tobiah and Geshen that, and these people are enemies of the children of Israel, that the Israelites uh, you know, are rebuilding the city. So they found out that, these, that the city is being rebuilt. So now... Here come the haters. And they scornfully laugh, they deride, and they mockingly ask, what are you doing? And suggest Nehemiah's actions are seditious. So Nehemiah, as my young people say, he clapped back because they challenged his authority. So Nehemiah affirms the ultimate source of his authority. He does not attribute it to the king, even though he actually has the king's blessings and backing. And the fact that the king was the authority the enemies were appealing to, but that's not the king he was talking about. Uh, Nehemiah instead attributes his authority to the God of heaven, and that is who God, that's who is God in his work. So these haters, they have no right to stop the work or to interfere with the work. And when the city is rebuilt, with, um, they have no privileges in Jerusalem. They will not be memorialized or honored. They will not be remembered nor their story passed down because they are not the ones who have helped Israel regain its position. And God will remember, will be remembered and given all the honor in this process. Nehemiah is confident in the Lord that he serves and that the work will be completed, whether these people like it or not. Often when asking for help, we would say, give me a hand with this. 
An often told tale illustrates the wisdom of asking for help when a task is too big for us. As the story goes, a father watched through the kitchen window as his small son tried to move a large rock in the yard. The boy couldn't quite get enough leverage to tip the rock over. At one point, the father came outside and asked the boy, can't you lift the rock? The boy says, no, dad, I just can't do it. So dad says, are you using all the strength you have? Then the boy replies back, yes, but I just can't move it. And the father replies, no, you're not using all the strength you have because you haven't asked me to help. Nehemiah was going to have not just one rock, but a whole pile of rocks and rubble to move in order to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. But heavenly and earthly hands would give him more than enough help. Nehemiah could sing as a precursor to this old hymn. He's got the whole wall in his hand. Like the little boy, our efforts matter, but they will not succeed all on our own. If we ask our Father for help, He has us and every task He gives us in His hands as well. Vervent prayer on the part of Nehemiah played a vital part. So we must ask God to give us His powerful hand. Without it, we are weak. With it, we have strength to overcome any obstacle. We must rise up and be confident in God's promise that He will be with us. Pray that God strengthens our hand for the work in which he has called us to do. This is Takiya Evans. Be blessed. Take care of one another. And thanks for tuning in to Out of the Box Sunday School. And I'll talk to you next week.